0: you are listening to hotter than health the podcast this is a podcast focusing on fitness nutrition and an overall healthy lifestyle my name is eliza gellman and i am so happy to have you here with me for today's episode Hello. Thank you guys for listening to this Thursday interview. As you know, every single Thursday, we're going to have a conversation or an interview with a thought-provoking leader in their industry, whether it's health, fitness, mental health, anything under the sun we are going to be going into. But before we get into today's guests, I wanted to make sure that we all had the opportunity to join the newsletter right? So who doesn't love a good newsletter? And I promise you, this isn't like one of those obnoxious newsletters that is just trying to sell a bunch of product and promote yourself, send a bunch of selfies I don't need to do all that BS, okay? All I want to do is give you guys a little bit of value. You're going to be getting recipes. You're going to be getting some facts and information on different types of workouts that may be best for your body. We're going to be going through different facts. You'll get a recap on the previous episodes. We're also going to mention a few brands that may be good or resources for you. So it's a really fantastic and simple, straight-to-the-point, quick Easy newsletter. If you are interested in the Hotter Than Health Eliza G Wellness newsletter, all I need you to do is go to the link in the bio on my Instagram or click on the show notes and head to my website, elizagwellness.com, and just subscribe. I will have your email address and you will be looped into a monthly newsletter. I think you guys will really like it. Also, one more quick shout out, if you have not already done so, to please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you subscribe, it will make sure that in the busyness of our worlds and of our lives that you guys don't miss any of these amazing episodes. You remember, every other Tuesday, we will have a solo episode with yours truly, and we will go in-depth into a topic about health, wellness, the works, Maybe it will just be me ranting. Maybe it will be a QA. I'm really excited for them. And I think a lot of people have seen a lot of value so far. So, without further ado, let's get into some information about our guest on the podcast today. All right. So, you guys haven't heard me talk too much about this because I really wanted to leave this topic to a professional. I'm so excited about this. What I love about our guest today is she just gets it. She gets to the point, she answers the question, and she makes it super relatable. All right? So today we have Phoebe Lapine on the podcast. I'm so excited. She is the author of SIBO Made Simple. She is also a podcast host It's called SIBO Made Simple if you want to check out a few of her episodes. Today we are going to be talking all about healing the gut, Hashimoto's, PCOS, living gluten-free, and also food sensitivities. We go everywhere with this podcast episode and we really do get to the root of why a lot of people struggle with really painful bloating but they may not know it. We also talk about different trends and different diets that may or may actually not be working for us. And we just had no idea. All right. So Phoebe Lapine, she has so much going on right now. She has written, I believe she said six books. You have to check her out on Instagram. It is just Phoebe Lapine spelled P-H-O-E-B-E, Lapine. And I'll put all of her information in the show notes. You can check out her website in the latest at the Wellness Project. Projects.com Tons of highlights tons of resources and really good recipes I actually really respect this because I don't do gluten really and I don't do dairy really and a lot of her recipes are super approachable for Cooking for a big dinner, maybe you're like me where you typically eat plant dominant, but you sometimes if you're having people over and you want to make a big pasta or you want to make a seafood dish, she's fantastic. And if you're still eating plant dominant, but you want to throw in some animal protein, she has a lot of great resources on her Instagram as well. So show her some love, go give her a follow, and let her know that you heard her through Hotter Than Health. All right. We are going to get into today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening, and make sure you listen until the very end, where we give a little bit more information about what is coming up next. All right. Without further ado, let's get into this awesome and quick to-the-point interview with Phoebe Lapine.
1: All right. Hi, Phoebe. How are you doing? I'm good. It's great to be here.
0: It's great to be here in the kitchen. Um, you can see all the dog. pictures. In the <laughs> too. Um, well, thank you for joining us all the way from New York. I feel honored to be speaking to a, an author of now three books and <laughs> such a pro in your arena. So um, I know people know a little bit about you, but I'd love to start the conversation just by hearing your story. I know so many people can resonate with some of the symptoms you may have been feeling and some of the ways small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO has affected your day-to-day. So if we can start with how this all got started, where did this come from for you?
1: (laughs) Sure, so I guess my health story started about a decade ago when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's uh, thyroiditis, which is an autoimmune disease. I was 22. So actually it was a little bit more than a decade ago. (laughs) And um, I was just diagnosed by my regular childhood doctor, which was really lucky because so many women do not get properly diagnosed with the autoimmune form of hypothyroidism. Um, But at the time I was too young to really understand what any of that meant. And my doctor didn't really explain much to me. So I I kind of spent the next few years just slowly wearing myself down to some sort of rock bottom and you know the symptoms back then i was just so crushingly tired that's kind of the big one for thyroid issues um if you're hypothyroid hypothyroid and i had horrible perioral dermatitis which is this rash that is really fun for the face <laughs> and kind of crops up around the nose and mouth that was you know kind of the symptom that really got my attention. And, you know, my hair was falling out. I was getting like horrible cramps every time I ran. Um, I basically had horrible cramps every time I ate too. Um, I had insomnia, but like was always waking up in like a pool of like horrible sweat. Um, The thyroid's kind of your thermostat. So I actually, you know, that was one of the symptoms I didn't quite associate until I learned more, but I would be like walking up the subway steps and just like having like hot flashes. Um, But then was like always cold the rest of the time. It was just very volatile. Um, So eventually I kind of got my act together and started seeing a more integrative practitioner and started changing my life and diet. And that was kind of when, and i started to use my career as a chef (laughs) to start trying to heal my body in the kitchen. Um, But that kind of spawned a whole other chapter of, you know, obsession, just overwhelm because the laundry list just seemed so, 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 so long. Um, So I ended up writing my last book kind of about this experience of kind of slowly making your life over one habit change at a time in a way that doesn't actually kill all the other positive aspects of your well-being. Like, your social life and your finances and all those other important things. Um, So anyway, I I say all this because I did a ton of research on gut health for that book and that project. And I really thought I had gotten my act under control. I mean, so much of any autoimmune disease can be traced back to dysfunction in the gut. Um, And in all of that time, I didn't really come across anything about SIBO. <laughs> and so after my book came out and I started to like have these IBS symptoms creeping back into my life. Um, I was just like getting really bloated all the time. And um, I was burping a lot during meals, which was strange and new for me. And I eventually just, you know, kind of put the pieces together and decided to go back to the doctor. But in the meantime, I was just kind of doubling down in everything I thought I was supposed to be doing. So I was just, you know, crushing probiotics and eating all the fermented foods and, you know, loading up on beans and fiber. And I was just making myself more and more miserable without truly understanding why. Um, so when I got the SIBO diagnosis next, um, which also I'm so lucky to have a great team of medical practitioners who seem to know where to look all the time. Um, it made a ton of sense in terms of what I was feeling. And then also why some of the conventional, gut health wisdom that I had been applying was not helpful at all. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, so it's so interesting because these are two things that people would never associate going hand in hand. You would think, oh, well, Hashimoto's thyroid issue, um, endocrine system, so hormones. And then you think, okay, that's totally different from why I'm feeling another kind of bloat, discomfort, gassy, um, and so let's, I would love to talk about, so you you solved, not solved, but I mean, you got to the root of Hashimoto's and you figured out why that was happening. And then you transitioned into, you're like, okay, well now it's time to start all the way back to square one and try and fix an entire different part of my gut, not really knowing at the time that if they were so in line. So can you talk a little bit about what, what exactly is SIBO? I mean, for people who may be listening to this and they're like, I've heard of the thyroid and I've heard of Hashimoto's. Maybe, maybe you haven't, but can you, um, just quickly give people a quick rundown of what is SIBO? What are we even talking about here? (laughs)
1: Yeah. So you mentioned the full acronym, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. um, And it's essentially a type of dysbiosis, which just means an imbalance in the flora of your gut. Um, What people I think kind of don't fully understand all the time about quote unquote gut health is that when people are kind of referring to this population of beneficial bacteria, they're mostly talking about the large intestine. That's kind of where the vast majority of these microbes live. Um, every element of your digestive tract kind of has its own unique microbiome and balance. Um, but the small intestine, which is where you absorb your nutrients doesn't really have a whole lot of a role for any sort of critters because when they are present, they are literally competing for your dinner. Um, so that is what happens in the case of SIBO. And for a variety of different reasons, essentially the number of bacteria that, you know, are supposed to be in your small intestine, which is fairly low becomes exceeded. And, um, when that kind of population is around and eating your food, as I mentioned, they release gas and that gas, because it's so far now from an exit ramp gets trapped and can can cause a lot of really uncomfortable symptoms. Um, the main one being of course, bloating, cause it gets trapped there. Um, and just kind of like distension of the abdomen. Um, but then, you know, like the burping makes sense too, you know, it's searching for an exit ramp anywhere <laughs> I can find one. Um, and then there's kind of just a lot of other downwinds, downwind kind of autoimmune spectrum uh, symptoms because with the bacteria present, one of the big consequences is something called leaky gut or intestinal permeability. They can quite literally eat through the very thin mucus lining of your small intestine since it's not designed to really withstand, again, a large, you know, population of bacteria. And that can mess with the tight junctions, um, which can then lead to food sensitivities as, you know, various food particles and sometimes, you know, pieces of the bacteria themselves, you know, can leak into the bloodstream. So that can then, you know, lead to a whole range of symptoms, as I mentioned, kind of on the autoimmune spectrum, joint pain, brain fog, um, you know, again, like strange food sensitivities, nutrient deficiencies, of course, because you're not going to be um, reaping the full rewards <laughs> of your meal if your gut is so damaged. Um, and then, you know, just kind of the hallmark IBS symptoms, constipation, diarrhea, um, ab- abdominal cramping, all that good stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And- There are two things that I want to go into right there that you mentioned. So you're saying, you know, the typical things, bloating, burping, indigestion, distension of your stomach and that kind of thing. Um, and we can even just start with that, but I think that that is something that is so common and, you know, you can be bloated for a trillion reasons Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, primarily the people who listen and listen to this podcast, hotter than health are female. And so, you know, whether it be that time of the month, maybe you're hanging on to more water, um, and you're feeling bloated. Can you go into depth from your experience? What kind of, what was the big difference that you noticed between that type of bloating and distension and uncomfortability, um, compared to maybe you had a big meal, you're bloated, or maybe something just didn't sit right with you? Can you go into the difference? Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of people might immediately raise their hand and be like, Oh, yep, Sibo, got it.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's a frequency thing. I mean, if you have these lingering bacteria in the wrong place, um, anytime you kind of eat their favorite foods, which is all different types of carbohydrates, not in like the traditional sense, when you think of, you know, like paleo or grains or whatnot, but literally the carbohydrates that make up all plant foods. Um, so when you eat, you know, particular foods, they again are going to be active and eating those foods too, and releasing gas. Um, so some of these foods may produce more gas than others. Um, but essentially, you know, if you're noticing that every time you eat, no matter what it is, no matter what time it is, you have symptoms, that's like kind of a hallmark of SIBO. If it's something that's like, you know, maybe more sporadic once in a while. That's probably has to do more with like a food sensitivity, something in particular that you're eating that you haven't quite put your finger on. Um, And then it's kind of like a location thing. So it's, it's happening a bit further up. It's not like period bloating, um, which, you know, feels a little bit closer to the uterus, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is like really pressing up against the ribs and the bra strap. Um, and you know, it can be different for everyone. And some people have bone don't have bloating as a symptom. It's rare, but, um, some people have seabone have no symptoms. Um, but those are kind of like the hallmarks.
0: Yeah. That's actually really, I hadn't thought about that. Obviously it's in it's, quite different area. So yeah, physically that makes a lot of sense. And I, I have heard a lot of people come to me and they're like, I get bloated after having a sip of water or <laughs> after having, you know, yeah. three grapes or X, Y, Z. And, and what's funny is that you think, okay, well, anything can be fixed with diet. And when you try to feed yourself an abundance of really healthy
1: foods, that's almost That's kryptonite. That's almost what
0: you don't want to be doing.
1: Well, that's why I like, you know, I'm passionate about spreading awareness for SIBO because I know, you know, how difficult the wellness space can be for a lot of women. Like you're being told many different mixed messages. You think by eating the cauliflower pizza, you're doing something healthy or eating the cauliflower rice instead of regular rice. And a lot of these kind of like trendy health foods like cauliflower are the worst for SIBO. So um, bad. So sulfuric. Yeah. Yeah cashews, another one. It's like you're eating the vegan cheese, not the regular cheese. Like cashews are super high FODMAP and can be really irritating for SIBO folks. Um, That's so interesting.
0: Can you, okay. So you just said FODMAP. I did a a Q and A on my Instagram the other day and it was, um, it was just general health quest- questions. And someone asked me, what are your thoughts on a low FODMAP diet? And there was no other context, but a lot of times, you know, we get, like you said, we're thrown so much information constantly. We're like diet, this diet, this eliminate this, add this. It's so challenging. Um, what can you explain the low FODMAP to someone who may not be sure about it, or they don't know how to approach it. Maybe their doctor told them to do low FODMAP just because that's like the first thing that they can think of. And they just, but why?
1: Yeah. So Low fodmap is one of the most data-backed approaches for IBS, which is what's gained it a lot of attention in the conventional gastrointestinal world, um, which is you know kind of amazing that you know, well, it's amazing that it's taking this long for GIs to like acknowledge diet as a treatment, but, um, (laughs) it's amazing that they are kind of, you know, prescribing it more generally. However, it's a really serious, restrictive therapeutic diet. It's not meant to be long-term and very few doctors kind of explain that to people or refer them out to a dietitian or nutritionist to help. Um, so the low FODMAP diet essentially is an acronym for various carbohydrates. Like I mentioned that are found in all plant-based foods are not something you're allergic to. Um, You know, it's really kind of a quantity issue and a ratio issue. So sometimes when certain foods exceed a certain um, type of FODMAP um, in a large quantity, it can, you know, not be tolerated well by some people. And, you know, it's said that over 60% of all IBS cases are actually being caused by SIBO. And knowing that, makes the low FODMAP diet to me make perfect sense. Because before that I was like, okay, if you look at the list of low FODMAP foods that are, sorry, high FODMAP foods that are not allowed on this diet, it, it literally lines up verbatim with what every single microbiome scientist tells you to eat to improve your gut health. So how is that possible? Um, and I kind of always suspected, I'm like, well, it's probably because these people's gut are so damaged to begin with that like they just can't handle Um you know, the, the medicine. So that is the case with SIBO to some extent, because it's not and you know, if you're feeding your bacteria, their favorite foods and they're in the wrong place, it's just going to make you miserable. Um, but the really difficult thing is that again, like kind of the greater goal of having a balanced gut, should lead you to eating as diverse a diet as possible, including all of those high FODMAP ingredients and veggies and cauliflower and cashews Mm -hmm. and all of that. Um, But it's a matter of getting there for a lot of people. And that can be really, really tricky. Um, So the low FODMAP diet, Um, is kind of your best bet for symptom reduction from SIBO. It's not a treatment in and of itself. I know you mentioned earlier, you know, that diet alone can't often fix some of these acute issues. And it's a misconception with SIBO that like, you can just do the low FODMAP diet and be fine. Um, It may like totally curtail your symptoms, but unless you're kind of eradicating the overgrowth, that's just going to be kind of a temporary band mm-hmm. Um, and it is, you know, it is beneficial for healing to some extent too, because the gas that the bacteria release is very inflammatory. Um, so the more that you can kind of pare that down and allow your gut time to, to heal, it's really important. But the number one thing you can do to get to a healing stage is to get rid of the overgrowth, um, which sorry. usually requires um, some sort of herbal and anti- antimicrobial protocol or antibiotics. Um, so basically, then, oh sorry, no, no, I was saying, and then you know some people layer on diet at different stages. Um, there's kind of a lot of different approaches.
0: Got it. And so basically it's like thought map would be a really great tool to one figure out if a lot of your symptoms do go away. Cause then you're like, okay, at least I'm going down the right path, you know? Okay. And so at least there's some understanding of, okay, I am listening to my body, listening to the right ways to go. And then there's something like I know I was just listening to a podcast of yours, or maybe I was on your Instagram. I can't remember where I was talking you. But the <laughs> um you mentioned die-off. So There's a lot of that die off that happens once you do start to kill some of the bacterial overgrowth. Um, what are some, like, what does that process look like? So for you, when you were fixing this, did you start with FODMAP and then have someone like write out a exact list of what you need to do?
1: Yeah. So I started, I did an herbal protocol, which was about four weeks and I layered on the low FADMAP diet during it. Um, but my doctor was smart because he was like, don't stress, like do it in broad strokes. Don't stress too much about it because you do want to keep your, your system on its toes. And that's kind of the controversy with layering the diet on top of treatment is that in theory, you're trying to kill bacteria. So you don't want them to like go into hibernation or just, you know, not be as active because you're not feeding it their favorite foods. I mean, in reality, unless you're like eating, like just like, meat, you're going to be feeding the bacteria in some way. It's like, that's why it's also misconception that you can like starve the bacteria as a treatment protocol. Um, you can with something called the elemental diet, but not with like eating foods, um, Mm -hmm. even low FODMAP diet. So I kind of, and you know what, the low FODMAP diet's really complicated. So it's very hard to do it perfectly. Um, so I kind of took that like as My directive. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do an imperfect low FODMAP diet that will at least help me, you know, feel a little bit better immediately. Um, But I'm not going to be so rigid about it that I, A, drive myself crazy or B, you know, take away all of these food resources from this bacteria that I'm trying to kill.
0: Totally. Well, you mentioned earlier also going back to our conversation of how one thing can lead to another. Often we don't necessarily know that an autoimmune is coming from some type of gut dysbiosis or imbalance in the gut. So I want to kind of talk about that. So many people right now um, are talking about food sensitivity testing. There are so many companies that are making a killing off of food sensitivity testing. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that it's a bad thing to do, but what, what it more so sounds like is you know, you're not often just born with these food sensitivities. A lot of time they are created, a lot of times they're introduced. um, And you might think like, oh, I've been fine with cabbage my whole life or cinnamon or limes. I don't know. So when you do think, okay, if my food sensitivity or food allergy is actually coming from the gut lining breaking just a little bit and these other foods kind of leaking out, what, what would you say to someone who's like only getting food sensitivity testing? And what are your, what are your thoughts about that?
1: Um, I'm not a big believer in food sensitivity testing across the board. Um, I'm, a bigger believer in just doing an elimination diet of which, you know, low FODMAP is one. Um I think you learn so much more from the physical experience um for better or worse of an ingredient that doesn't agree with you. I know that's just from my own personal experience, like even if I have the blood test, um I'm going to believe, you know, my actual physical symptoms more. And then yeah, as you mentioned, it's like these tests are so reliant on what you've been eating recently. So it, they're just not perfect. Um, mm-hmm. they're a little bit finicky. So like if you've been eating a lot of eggplant that past week, like you may have, you know, different scores for that eggplant, than you know, something else that hasn't even been in your diet that actually might be more inflammatory to you. Um, yeah. and also, you know, the gut is just constantly changing. So, you know, you could be sensitive to one thing one day and not the other day. Um, so I would just, you know, be willing. I think for women in particular, be willing to kind of challenge yourself, um, and reintroduce foods, you know, pretty, um, consistently so that you're not completely taking something off the table that may not be, you know, something that's problematic for you long-term, maybe like a FODMAP it's just something that you either need to pare down on the quantity or take a little break from and then see what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I completely agree with you. I think that there are so many different things we can test right now and like something's gonna show up positive. <laughs> it's just something's yeah. gonna happen. Um, let's I want to take it back to your story specifically. Um, so you are a healthy person you live a I mean you live a healthy lifestyle, you're doing what you can you know nothing outrageous happening. And then all of a sudden you think, okay, I am so exhausted. I'm so tired. You fix this Hashimoto's and, or you, you are aware of this Hashimoto's thyroid issue. And then you go into SIBO. Can you remember, I know it's tough to remember now, but can you remember what a day in the life was like? Would you, what were some of the thoughts that were going on in your head throughout your day to day that made you finally realize this is, so uncomfortable it's not normal this is not normal
1: yeah i mean the burping was definitely an eye-opener because that was not consistent (laughs) with anything i had been doing before i was definitely noticing that like when i was drinking kombucha it was making me more bloated than other things um and then yeah it was actually funny it was like going on vacation and wearing a bikini for a week straight i was like oh like this pouch it's there like it's not (laughs) this is not right yeah. And it's not going away like at any points of the day. Um, so, I mean, I like joked about it in my initial SIBO post about like my muffin top, like, but it really was, I was starting to think, I was like, am I just like in my mid thirties now? And like, this is what my body's doing. And the answer was no, it wasn't. I had SIBO. <laughs> that's crazy. And, and just to get super specific, cause it's just the way my brain
0: works. Was it when you're talking about the distension and the bloat in your stomach and like the pooch that you're talking about, was it hard or was it squishy? Was it
1: hard? Yeah. It (laughs) was like an inner tube. Yeah. Wow. Um, There's some pictures on my Instagram, a little flashbacks. I was was just looking at that and it was, I mean, it's (laughs) it's a stark contrast.
0: It's very different because you're a lean girl, like arms, legs, you are athletic build and strong and then yeah it just didn't look like it was supposed to be there and yeah. I totally get what you mean um I know we've all had those nights where we're we look in the mirror we're like oh my god what's <laughs> happening but if that's happening every single night for sure um and so you just mentioned it kombucha so and actually I just burped in the middle of those conversations <laughs> here we are so the um going back to kombucha, I get asked all the time if I like kombucha, if I do it for some reason, when I drink it, it has to be either on a very empty stomach. I can't be, it's like, I have a certain time of day where I can drink it and I'm totally fine. But, um, I want to know your thoughts on, yeah, fermented foods. People ask sauerkraut, kimchi, kefir, all these different things with probiotics. Um, What are some foods that have some misnomers or some uh, myths that you like to debunk?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think they're all great things if you have, you know, if you don't have SIBO or histamine issues or yeast overgrowth, um, you know, a lot of people though, it's like an aspirational, uh, food group to, to get to. And if certainly if you're someone who notices like any weird symptoms around eating fermented foods, like that's kind of a red flag for, for one of these other issues, it doesn't necessarily mean SIBO histamine intolerance is like kind of this, other insidious issue that a lot of people don't know about, but I think actually affects a lot of people. Um, and it's something that dovetails a lot with SIBO just because of the way bacteria accumulate in the body and contribute to higher levels of histamine. Um, but you know, Kombucha would actually be the only one of that grouping that I think is like kind of misused across the board. Agreed. I mean, it's just become like a healthy replacement for soda, and it's still pretty high in sugar. And the quantity is like in the bottles that are sold at the market. Like that's like probably too much kombucha <laughs> to be having in one sitting, both from a sugar perspective and you know just because. Uh, Like, I mean, not that you can really have too many fermented foods if like your guts game for that, Um, but it's very acidic um, and it's also bubbly. And a lot of people with IBS, like if you just stop drinking bubbly water, I think would see a huge
0: improvement. I completely agree. It is I would say that when I hear people say that they're drinking LaCroix every day and kombucha every day, and they're like, I just, Oh, I'm super healthy. I drink and and no offense to them. It's just an education thing you're understanding, but it's literally putting bubbles into like, think about shaking up a champagne bottle. It bursts everywhere. Um, So I think that that's so funny, but Okay. So I agree with you, kombucha, like the sugar content and everything. I think that if you want to do it once in a while, just to enjoy it for sure. Yeah. But even I used to live, um, I used to work. It's in a treat. Office. It's a treat. It's, it's for sure. <laughs> it's a treat. I, I think it's really good with a cocktail sometimes because oh, yeah. you know, you know, you're only getting a little bit of it. So mm. it just has this almost yeasty type of uh, vinegary flavor. I love it, but Um, like you were just mentioning the quantities that were served, it's huge. So I I used to work at, uh, an office space and I had this one friend who made it like in a dark closet in her house and it was sketchy, but it was so good. And she would always use, um, she would go to the farmer's market and get all these different organic fruits. And she had this one peach jalapeno one. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. It was so good, and I remember she was like, Yeah, just you know, it came in one of these big glass bottles where you just pop the top over and then it would seal back over so you could reuse it and reuse it. And she was like, Yeah, just drink maybe a cup or a half a cup at a time, and you're gonna feel amazing. You're gonna feel so good. And I remember that was the only kombucha that never gave me problems because of the portions, like, yeah, <laughs> it was just the portions. Um, god, it so good though, yeah. Um so, what are some foods that? I know this is totally for each its own type of situation, but for IBS, for SIBO, what are some foods that we should start to incorporate more of?
1: Yeah, thing that we could do to incorporate. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think how you're eating your food is way more important than what you're eating for IBS. So, you know, if you're someone with a damaged gut who, you know, has tried low FODMAP or have just become like kind of fearful of like fiber and veggies and certain foods, like try pureeing them. Well, first of all, try cooking them and then even better, try pureeing them. Um, that's going to make it a lot easier for your body to assimilate. And I would say like, again, before ruling out certain ingredients is problematic, just try preparing them differently. I mean, tomatoes are kind of a really good example. It could be so many things. It could be the histamine. It could be the lectins. It could be, you know, that it's a nightshade. It could just be that, you know, you don't handle raw tomatoes really well. You deal better with cooked tomatoes. Um, all of these things kind of have different sugar content, different, you know, um, Um, it just changes molecularly as you, as you change the preparation. So, um, for like, especially like really woody fibrous veggies that can be tougher for people, like try pureeing them, um, try, you know, maybe taking the seeds out, like again, with the tomatoes, you can try (laughs) de-skinning them, de-seeding them. Um, there are so many different ways, um, to, to experiment. Um, and then I would say, you know, kind of some of my favorite healing foods are leafy greens across the board. Um, and again, if you have issue with them, throw them in a soup and puree it. Um, I love kind of chelating herbs like cilantro and parsley. So good for supporting your liver, which is really important when you're trying to heal anything. Um, but especially anything involving the digestive tract, it's like the unsung hero of your digestive system. Um, Fresh lemon juice is incredible for um, antiviral, antibacterial properties um, and can be really alkalizing in water first thing in the morning. Also really helpful for your liver. Um, I do a lot of fresh ginger in my recipe is a lot of turmeric. Um, those are kind of two healing superstars, um, especially for SIBO and can help with leaky gut. And also like the ginger itself is just like kind of a panacea, like helps with nausea and bloating and so many different things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I my focus in my book is basically recipes that just revolve around vegetables that have, you know, huge amounts of antioxidants going for them and that can be really hard on a low FODMAP diet since it reduces so many incredibly healthful vegetables um and I think that can make people with SIBO or IBS like particularly fearful of ingredients that have you know so much to offer on the healing front um and so yeah I would just say incorporate them in smaller quantities in more diverse ways now I'd say like at the aftermath of SIBO my plates are like way more um, diverse than they were before, just because I'm much more focused on having lots of different things rather than Mm -hmm. kind of like a blue plate special.
0: Yeah. And and the goal of fixing it is so that you can incorporate these healthy things. The goal is not to suffer for the rest of your life. This is not something like, this is not a death sentence. This is not meant to be uncomfortable for forever. So, I mean, even if anyone listening to this is thinking, a lot of this really does sound like me and you're serious about it, then it might be worth it to find a good, um, I don't know if it would be a gastroenterologist or a holistic practitioner of some sort. I feel like that's probably the route I would take. Um, Is there anyone that you would recommend seeing first? Because I know you you mentioned you were lucky with your primary care, but I feel like that's almost rare to- you know? So what would you say if someone's like, I want to check this out, but I only know my primary care doctor, what would you say?
1: Ah, uh, I mean, it's really hard. It's like the issue with our <laughs> medical system. Anyone who's kind of more on the naturopathic side or a functional medicine doctor is going to be doing more comprehensive testing and kind of looking at the whole picture. So if you can afford it, I would say, you know, it's worth your time to do a full workup. Um, there are lots of incredible practitioners all over the country who, you know, have a range of price points and do telemedicine and depending on what state you're in, they may not be able to prescribe, um, antibiotics or medications for you um, that require an RX. But again, a lot of these things have, you know, quote unquote, natural alternatives on the herbal front. And so, you know, maybe it's worth working with someone out of state, not in your area, just via telemedicine.
0: Totally. I think that that's kind of where things are going now anyway. So be open to that. Um, and one more thing that I wanted to discuss, because I was looking at your books and some of the recipes that you make, and you do talk about gluten. So talk Mm -hmm. about your thoughts on gluten. I know that everyone has, everyone has thoughts.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, for Hashimoto's people, um, it can be a bit more problematic than for others, just because a lot of the times our bodies have, um, mistaken identity issues and hyperactive immune systems and the thyroid protein and the gluten protein look really similar. So it can kind of exacerbate, um, immune issues that are already brewing. Um, so for me, that's kind of been my only hard line in my diet. Um, But then, you know, it's like the demonization of gluten itself is, I don't think, warranted. Um, It has a lot to do, again, with just the way modern preparations go. And I think most significantly the amount of pesticides that are used on wheat-based crops. Um, So, you know, you'll hear some people who say that they are totally fine with the farmer's market sourdough or eating, you know, a baguette in France. And, you know, it's not that the wheat itself – is GMO or, you know, kind of though it's hybridized, it's, it's not, it's not a GMO crop actually. Um, but it is hybridized to withstand larger quantities of pesticides. And that glyphosate is, I think really, really damaging for people and kind of, the hidden issue of gluten for a lot of people. Um so I would just say, you know, experiment on your own, see how you feel without it if it's something that you want to look into. Um explore, you know, some types of bread like sourdough that's fermented over time to have a lower gluten quantity. Um if you're worried about the glyphosate issue as, you know, everyone kind of should be, <laughs> maybe just try buying bread from the farmers market and seeing, you know, how that makes you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, there again, it's, it's a lot about the preparation and the how versus just like the blanket what.
0: Totally. I agree completely. Um, and, you know, it's even when you're, if you're traveling, you know, in Europe, you're going to be totally fine having, a, having some bread. And then when you come back here and you go to an all gardener, you go to a dinner and they serve you bread and you're like, oh my God, I feel that immediately. It's very different. Um, and so before I let you go, Um, what, what would you say are some of your favorite personal favorite health lifestyle wellness resources, whether it be a podcast or a food or a brand or a person, what are some of your favorite resources that you integrate in?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, it's so hard. You know, it's like with the SIBO stuff, I was so lucky to do my own podcast, which is called SIBO Made Simple. And I just went straight to the source and interviewed some incredible practitioners. Um, some you of my have favorites. some amazing
0: guests. On yeah.
1: There. Some of my favorites um, are Jolene Brighton, Dr. Jolene Brighton, um, Dr. Aviva Ram, Dr. Will Cole, uh, Dr. Susan Blum is incredible for immune system stuff. You have Dr. B on there? Oh, yeah. Dr. B. Can't forget Dr. B. And yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of go like straight to the stores, to the people, um, as my resources, but you know, these, these practitioners, practitioners have incredible books, have incredible Instagram presences and are just great educators across the board.
0: Totally. I agree. Um, and you guys definitely make sure that you check out the podcast. It's SIBO, SIBO made simple, and you can find it on iTunes. I listened to a couple episodes before. Phoebe and I started talking and it's super easy to listen to It's straight to the (laughs) point. It's simple. And I really enjoyed it. So thank you for that. Oh, Thanks. Of course. Um, well, I'm so excited to have you on. So if you could tell us a little bit about the book that you have coming out your third and plug that and I'll put it in the show notes. I'm so excited to check it out.
1: (laughs) Yes. It's also called SIBO made simple. It's available wherever books are sold. It's kind of a hybrid, um, cookbook and guide. There's like 150 pages up front, just about all the nitty gritty info on SIBO and gut healing. I mean, it really does contain a ton of information that's applicable, even if you don't have SIBO, but just have, you know, IBS or other gut issues. And then the back half is, you know, 90 plus really delicious anti-inflammatory recipes. They suit a low FODMAP diet. They're also allergen free. So there's no gluten, dairy, soy, optional, and corn. And yeah, but, you know, I'm I'm a chef first and foremost, and so I was really passionate about making everything really easy and flavorful, and I think that's been the most joyful part about having this out in the world is just seeing people making the recipes and just, like, feeling so much less restriction and grief about doing a, a limited diet for this medical condition. We didn't even talk about you
0: being a chef. We're going to have to do another one and just talk about the whole journey (laughs) of like how that has transpired. But you guys make sure that you follow Phoebe. It's Phoebe Lapine, not Lapine, (laughs) Phoebe Lapine. I will plug all of this in the show notes. And um, by the time this comes out, we will you will have seen all her all over the Instagram and all over, all over the place, but um, gluten-free chef, SIBO and Hashimoto's advocate. I am so excited to have you as a resource. This is so fantastic. And um, I would love to get you on here again, and we can dive into more things, bacteria. Um, (laughs) But thank you so much for your time. And I will put all of this in the show notes You've been so wonderful and we'll have you on again. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of hotter than health. Remember to make sure you are following us on social media so you can see teasers, alerts, and more information about the podcast. It is at hotter than health podcast on Instagram. You can also follow my personal Instagram at Eliza G underscore wellness. And make sure you're also following Phoebe. She has so many delicious recipes and information. It's under at Phoebe Lapine on Instagram. Also, if you still want to be included on next newsletter for the Eliza G Wellness and Hotter Than Health podcast newsletter, make sure you comment on my most recent Hotter Than Health Instagram story. Leave your email address and I will absolutely put you on the list. All right. So excited for you guys to listen to next week's interview. You're going to love it. And don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It means the world. And I thank you so much in advance. And we'll talk to you all next week.